This is an interesting chapter because the Bible says that Paul, he comes into, uh, to, to basically ends up meeting up years and years later after the initial pouring out of the Spirit. There are still followers of John the Baptist who have not heard the gospel in its, in its fullness. And so this is a, a brief, brief excerpt of their conversation. And it happened that while Apollos at Corinth uh, was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said on, unto them, Did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Unto then, what were you baptized? What, what was your baptism? Watch their response. They said, Unto John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized. What happened? Their response. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were re-baptized. They were baptized under repentance the first time years and years before under John's baptism. But upon hearing the words of Paul that Christ has come, that it is now that you are to be baptized in water specifically in the name of Jesus, they willingly got in the water and were baptized in the name of Jesus. And watch what happened. And Paul laid his hands on them. And here's the second baptism. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking with new tongues and prophesying. That is a perfect scripture to set the stage for today as I talk or continue talking about the essentials. We are a Book of Acts church here in the 21st century and I'm telling you that experience that you just read about, if it was for them, it's for me. If it was for them, then it's for every one of us. And if you've not experienced water baptism and spirit baptism, today is your day. God's going to change your life. Anybody been there before? Anybody got in the water and been baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost if you have? Why don't you just pray with me right now? Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the power of God that is in this room. I pray that, Lord, for the next few moments, Lord, you would guide my spirit, God. Help it to be, God, that I say every word that you'd have me to say, the way that you'd have me to say it. But Lord, more important than my words, I pray, anoint the hearer, God, that Lord, whatever is delivered, it would fall on hearts that are prepared and ready. I speak that and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for your worship. You can be seated. You may have already noticed this, and, and if you haven't, then I'll give you, uh, I'll be the first one to break the news to you. Stello Church is a different church. This church is different. In fact, if you go to our vision statement, shortened, we say this. Embrace the difference to be the difference. And what we mean when we say that is embrace the difference of God's word so that you can be the difference in your world. Because this word is different. And can I tell you that uh, it should always be that when we embrace God's word, that that automated, automatically makes us different than the world. Because the world, the Bible says, is blinded by the light of God's 
word. There's always going to be a difference between those who embrace God's word and the world that they live in. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. But would you believe me, and I think you would, and you understand this to be true just like I do, but to embrace God's word in this day and age, which is saturated with so many that call themselves Christians and so many different denominations, to embrace God's word in this day and age not only separates you from the world, but it actually separates you from those that call themselves Christians. Now, I don't believe in being different for the sake of being different. We're not just trying to be different. We don't just desire to stand out. No, if everybody embraced the difference of God's word, then we would be happy to fit in, wouldn't we? But the fact of the matter is, we are more interested in following God's word than we are interested in pleasing people, whether that be people in our culture or whether that be people that call themselves Christian. And I'm not trying to fire shots today as much as I am trying to embolden a believer in this room that it matters much less what people think of you and it matters much more what God's word says about you. And today I would rather embrace God's word word and be different from those around me than I would to fit in. And so today as I talk about this, I want you to know that I'm going to use the word different because we are different. I used that a couple of weeks ago when we kicked off this series. That word different is not a bad word. In fact, depending on the people and the circumstances around us, it can be a very good thing to be different. A recent article from the Huffington Post was titled, Being Different is More Important Than Being Better. If you could instill, this is what the article says, if you could instill in your product a single virtue that would set it apart from the rest of the market, what would it be? Many would say, well, I desire to make it so inexpensively that I can offer it at the best price. Others would say, I want my product to be the most stylish. But the article says this, your answer should be none of the above. Here's why. The biggest asset a product can have is its uniqueness. Perhaps it's unfair, but being great isn't good enough. Being wildly different than what's out there is often the biggest predictor of whether or not you'll be able to grab a significant market share, the article reads. Take the Toyota Prius as an example. When it hit the scene, it made a big splash. Was it because of its performance? No. Was it because of its looks? And I'm only reading the article, so if you drove a Prius here, do not hate the reader. No. Was it because of its looks? Certainly not. Was it gas mileage? Somewhat. But the real reason the Prius made waves was because of its hybrid engine. Never before had there been a mainstream, affordable, mass-produced hybrid car. This was certainly the future. This was special, and this was most importantly unique or different. As a result, it sold. It seemed like overnight, everyone suddenly had a Prius. It didn't matter that it had dull handling, mediocre acceleration, and looks that could, even at one's most compassionate, be described as ugly. It didn't even matter too much that 
the factory recalls began started pouring in. Here's what the article says. Because when you're different from everything else, your uniqueness obliterates all other narratives about your product. She went on, the writer, to compare success of the Prius to the Mazda 3, which was an all-around better car, but not different, and therefore it did not sell the same way. As another example, you could look at the rise of Apple. They focused intently on being different from the rest. They weren't super subtle about this. In fact, their brand tagline, after all, was this, think different. But Apple didn't just talk the talk or have a good logo. No, they walked the walk. Was anyone else really focusing on making computers and consumer technology artistically designed before Apple? You see, the original iMac was wildly different. Somebody say different. Different from everything else on the market. The way you interacted with the first iPhone was fundamentally different. If you aren't different, your message simply becomes this, quote, and we're also selling one of these. We're also selling another this. Think of the millions and millions of dollars wireless companies spend in advertising trying to highlight tiny differences between them and their competitors. But can you really name any significant difference off the top of your head? The article ends by saying the answer is no. You see, the thing that sets these markets and these products apart is that they are wildly different from whatever else is on the market. Again, I reiterate, I do not believe that being different or unique for the sake of being different or unique is what we should do. But at the same time, I am encouraged by this because I realized today that when we started Stello Church, many people looked at us and said, really, Another church in North Raleigh? Is that what Wake Forest North Raleigh really needs? In fact, don't you know that they have one of the largest seminaries on the East Coast right in the middle of their city? In fact, that seminary is the one that pushes out missional, uh, missional uh, church plants and different ones. And, and many looked at us and they said, I think there's plenty of churches in the area. But what they did not realize, and hopefully they do now five years later, is that Stello Church is not just another church. We are altogether different. And that's not calling on our uniqueness or our special ability or our talent because certainly it is in none of that. But the fact of the matter is what makes Stello Church different is that we believe the word of God at face value and we take less into account denominationalism or men's traditions. These things can have their place but at the end of the day all we are primarily interested in is what does your words say God and if your word says that we can have it then in the name of Jesus we believe that it's for us and can I just tell you today that the word of God says that baptism in the name of Jesus is for everybody 
The word of God says that baptism in the spirit is for everybody. In fact, if you would, throw Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 on the screen. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God was poured out upon a group of believers. And it was so powerful in Acts 1 and 2 that it began to pour out onto the streets and they were speaking in new tongues. And it was such a sight to see that when they looked, they said, What meaneth this? In plain English, they were saying, hey, there's something different about this experience, something we've never seen. In fact, they tried to quantify it and figure out what it was. And one of the, one of the theories was, well, they're drunk with new wine. Now, if you ever find a form of alcohol that causes you to speak fluently an unknown language, first of all, don't tell me about it because that means you were testing it. But we know good and well that this was not alcohol or anything that the world could give. But this was poured out from heaven as a promise from the Father onto those that would believe. And the scripture says that when they begin to observe, some mocked, some walked away, but others listened to the words of the apostle Peter. And he stood up and he preached unto them. And they asked after he preached, what must we do to be saved? Yes, we've crucified Christ, we've made a mistake, we missed the Messiah, and obviously this is a sign of his resurrection. But what must we do to be saved? And this is Peter's response. He said unto them, repent, which means turn away, and watch this, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. The reason that you get in that water is for the remission or the washing away of your sins. And guess what? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you know what the Bible says is that Peter assures them that this promise in the next verses, he says, is for you and your children and your children's children and all that are afar off. I may not be a grandson or a great-grandson of the Apostle Peter, but I am all that are afar off. And we may be generations removed from this first century church but that same experience is for everybody in this room and can I tell you being baptized in the name of Jesus in water and being baptized in the spirit of God with the evidence of speaking in tongues is the greatest experience that anybody could ever have and it's for you today somebody ought to say hey it's for me you ought to put your hand on your chest and say it's for me today it's for you today. It's for you today. You say, well, was it just Acts chapter 2? Oh, no, no, no. This is what I love about the Bible is that it gives us this, this historical view in the book of Acts of many years removed from Acts chapter 2. When you read the book of Acts, you get decades of history. I know it's only 28 chapters, but, but it actually breaks down experience from experience and highlights for us the people groups and the generations after this that would receive the exact same experience because the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that Philip would go and preach to the Samaritans. This was four years later. This proves to us that this wasn't just a one moment uh, in, in time type of thing that happened. No, no, no. This was something that would happen again and again. This is the way we could say it. This baptism in water in the name of Jesus and baptism in spirit, which by the way, 
Jesus would say, in fire, that's the way he would describe it before this. So if you ever hear, man, I just want to be a part of a church that's on fire, that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about the Spirit of God moving because the Bible says that when it sat upon each of them, it was like a fire. That's the Sometimes we don't know how to describe heavenly gifts, do we? And you know what? The only thing we say is it's like a fire, man. It's just, it just something that, that causes you to move, okay? So that's what we're talking about here. And the Bible says that in Acts chapter 8, four years later, that the Samaritans, they had an experience, but they were still missing something. You see, the Bible says that they got the good news of the gospel and the scripture. And you can go read it for yourself. It's powerful. There was healing. Anybody ever been somewhere where there's healing? That's a powerful thing. There was great joy. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. And I'm not demonizing or diminishing this, but the Bible says that the apostles took a special trip to Samaria because they had not yet been baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost. They were baptized, the Scripture says. Let me just say it like this. You can have a lot of wonderful experiences. You can have a lot of powerful moments and still not have clearly understood your next biblical step. You see, a lot of people think, well, pastor, why would I need baptism? Why do you call this an essential? I've got great joy. I've already seen healing. I've had powerful experiences with God. I believe that. I don't discount that. The Samaritans certainly had what you could even describe as a revival. But you cannot expect people to do something like in Acts 19 that they had not yet heard of. So there has to be explanation. But once the explanation is given, what can happen sometimes is people will then lean back on their previous religious experience and become a little bit self-righteous and say, well, I don't need to be told what to do by man. I felt God. This was not the response in Samaria or from the Samaritans. In fact, it was the exact opposite. They were obedient to the word of God, and we see a pouring out of the Spirit that was a great revival four years after Acts chapter 2. But it doesn't end there. In fact, these were all Jews that were receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. What about me? I don't know about you, but I'm not Jewish. I, I was driving or walking through the streets of New York. I took a couple days. That's where my wife and I went um, for, for our 10-year. We took two days in New York City, and we were walking in the Soho district, and there was this big, loud, this big, loud bus that came by. I didn't know what was happening in Jordan, and it was like, and it said something like this. Everybody say, ha, and then everybody go, ha. Everybody say, who, who. And I mean, I'm telling you, it was loud. It was driving through the streets. Aren't you proud to be a Jew? That threw me off. So I didn't see that coming. I, I got stopped. I, was, I must have been walking through the Jewish quarter or whatever it is because I got stopped. And, and a, a, a man with all of the Orthodox Jew look, he, he stopped me. He said, are you Jewish? And I misunderstood what he said. And I just said, yeah. I did. I said, yeah. And then I said, oh, no. I, I kinda, I'm kind of Jewish. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, circumcision of the heart, baptism. I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. But that's what I was thinking. Everybody say, ha. Everybody say, who? Not you. You're not a Jew. What about us? We're like Cornelius. The Bible says he was devout. He was religious. He prayed daily. But he was still 
not given the promise. He was not given the promise of baptism in the name of Jesus or in the Spirit of God. Baptism by fire in the Spirit. But the Scripture says that God sends a dream to the Apostle Peter, the same one that 10 years before preached to those Jews who were hungry and desiring for more of God. But now he was opening up a door of revival to Gentiles. Now, even Peter did not see this coming. He said, whoa, wait a second. You see, because when Jesus prophesied or when the word of God prophesied and said it's for you and your children and all that are far off, every nation, he wasn't just speaking of one people group. And the Bible says that the same experience that the Jews had before, those that would walk in Christianity, now the door was open in Acts chapter 10 to a man named Cornelius. Later on in that same chapter, we watch as it is poured out on each and every one that would believe, despite being Gentiles, this revival was open to them. But when you read it, guess what happened? There was still a commandment even after they received the Holy Ghost, to do what? Be baptized in water in the name of Jesus. Now hold up. If you have already experienced spirit baptism, I mean, you've prophesied, you've spoken tongues. The initial evidence of, of the Holy Ghost is that you'll speak a new language. That doesn't mean uh, I'm English and I speak Spanish. That's not what that means. But the Bible says it's a heavenly language. And I've watched people, I'm telling you, probably hundreds of people in my lifetime, including myself, at the age of six or seven years old, experience this. And I'm telling you, when the Bible describes it like a fire, that's a perfect description. Because when, you're, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it, it feels, it is an out-of-body experience in many ways. It is overwhelming, it's emotional, it is powerful, and sometimes you watch people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and a lot of times it has to do with their personality. They're loud, they're boisterous, they're just like, everybody in the room knows they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Everybody out of the room probably knew they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then there's people, maybe they're a little more timid. But they're still praying and seeking God fervently. And the exact same experience happens to them. But no matter what, the initial evidence is that they will look at you and they'll say, Listen, there were words coming out of my mouth. I had one, I had one young man describe it to me like this. I think it was Jonathan. I, I can't remember. One young man said it like this. He said, I was speaking gibberish. So call it what you want to, gibberish, heavenly language. Can I just tell you this? This is how much, and I'm going to get back to this. But I remember a few years ago, Nathaniel, he was seeking for the gift of the Holy Ghost. All of this was brand new for him. We had finished service over at the factory, and, and Nathaniel was still feeling God just move on his life. And he said, Pastor, I just, I can't shake it. I, I just feel the Holy Ghost. We had tore everything down. There was no music. All that was left were crates, just crates sitting there. And I said, Nathaniel, and we gathered the team together. It was about 15 or 20 of us. I said, Nathaniel, if you want the Holy Ghost, it's not about the music being right. It's not about the stage being set. It's not about, not, that's not how it works. All you have to do is be willing. I said, Nathaniel, just raise your hands. We're going to begin to pray for you without music, without prompting, without anything, because Nathaniel had a willing heart. I'll never forget it. He lifted his hands. We begin to pray for him. And all of a sudden, well, we'll just say it like this. He started speaking gibberish. 
We said, man, there it is, right? I'm just telling you that the Holy Ghost is for everyone, anybody who's willing. It may be different, but it's the right kind of different. It's not a religious sacrament. It's not an experience that man can give you. This is the promise of God for every believer. Acts chapter 10. They were baptized already. But there was still, or they had been filled with the Holy Ghost already, but there was still a commandment to be baptized. Today, you may have had the experience of speaking with new tongues, but you were baptized, like we talked in Acts 19, a different way. Maybe you were baptized as a child. Many people come in, and infant baptism is their experience. Many people come in and they were baptized when they were younger in a different way than in the name of Jesus. Maybe it was that you were baptized to be a member of a church because in our day and age in denominationalism, many denominations baptize simply for you to become a member of that local church. That is not the biblical reason for baptism. When you see baptism in the Bible over and over again, in fact, when you get to Acts 19, we're two decades removed from Acts chapter 2. It's been 20 years since Acts 2.38 was initially preached. And the same message is still being preached to the believers in that day and time. I don't know when your first experience was with God. I don't know how many years ago it has been. But can I just tell you what I believe today and what we see in Scripture. Is that he that believes and is baptized, Jesus said. He that believes and is baptized, shall be saved. Today, if you believe, you ought to be baptized in the name of Jesus in water and say, hey, I believe, but I've got to make the next step. It's an essential part of your walk with God. It's essential to make that step. Man, I've gotten ahead of myself. I was going to talk about water baptism first and then spirit baptism, but man, it's hard to talk about one without the other. So I'm in trouble now. Today, I will tell you what I believe and what we teach here at Stello Church on baptism in water. We know that baptism is vital. It's so important. And many people will look at me and they will say, Pastor, is it necessary? Do I have to do this? As if they need to be forced to do it. And I understand what they're asking. And I would say to you, uh, you should probably understand that many denominations, different groups of Christians, believe that baptism in water is necessary. In fact, if you look back in the history of Christianity, uh, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodoxy, Lutherans, all believed that baptism was necessary for salvation. Episcopalians believed that it renounced evil and was a source of the new birth. But Roman Catholics believed that it was necessary because it was a work of man. Whenever they said it was a work of man, it meant something that you had to do. This is one of the primary reasons Martin Luther uh, protested against the Catholic Church. Martin Luther was one of the very first, and if you don't know... Uh, Christian history, I don't want to go too deep, but when you see Protestantism, that's really any Christian belief just about that's not Catholic, that comes all the way back to a historical figure named Martin Luther who rejected the Catholic belief as it was seen and hundreds of years ago 
he, he stepped away and it nearly cost him his life. And so Protestantism is a, an offshoot of those that rejected the original Catholic church or the original Catholic idea. And the Bible, or excuse me, history tells us that when that rejection happened, we see a lot of splintering off. But all the way back to Martin Luther, when he taught baptism, he said it was necessary not because it was a work of man, but because it was a work of God. Now, wait a second. If it's something that we do, how can it be a work of God? Because we still have to do something. Somebody says, that's exactly right. That's why baptism is not necessary. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Huh. When I confess with my mouth, who's the one talking? Still me. Still me. So if you want to go down the road that anything that you do is a work of man, then truly when you come to God, you just have to fall in an altar and I guess do nothing. That makes zero sense. In fact, when we look at faith, we see that faith is synonymous with action. And I'm certainly not preaching that anybody in here can earn their salvation with works. But the fact of the matter is, when you go down in water, what did Peter say originally in Acts 2? It is for the remission of sins. You can't remit your sins with your own work. And certainly, there's no magic water that can remit your sins. In fact, Peter would say that later on in the New Testament. Explain. It's not in the water itself. No, it is in the act of faith. The action of faith is expressed expressed in one that goes down in water baptism. And then, guess what happens? Not a work of man, but a work of God takes place and God remits and washes away your sins and you effectively become a new creature in Christ. In the same way that you cannot remit your own sins, you cannot receive the Holy Ghost by your own self. But if you will come to God with faith and be willing, I'm telling you, God will baptize you with the Spirit. You can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost today. Yes, I may have to take a step forward. I may have to open up my mouth and repent. But at the end of the day, God is the one who is doing the work. He is the one who is moving. He is the one who is working in my life. It's powerful. It's needed. We have to understand it. I know there's many people that will look and say, Pastor, you're, you're telling me that this is something that if I haven't done, this is what they'll ask, if I haven't done this, are you saying that I can't be saved, that I'm not saved? In fact, many will, will look and they'll come in and when they see the revelation, I, I've sat in quite a few Bible studies where I'm the one teaching and, and it's amazing to watch people who have been taught, and we, we've been using the word different, but they've been taught from the time that they were just young a certain belief system that, that truly told them you should avoid the book of Acts. That's just an old, uh, that, that was for the apostles, that was for a different time, a different day and age, the gifts of the Spirit. And they'll pull and they'll pluck out uh, things in the New Testament where Paul talks about tongues in the book of Corinthians and he said basically they'll pull one little verse out that makes it sound like that the church shouldn't speak in tongues and forget that in the same book Paul says I speak in tongues more than all of you 
You've got to read the whole Bible, the whole word. You can pull one thing out and make it look like something that it's not. But the fact of the matter, I've, I've watched as people who have willing and hungry hearts have opened up the word of God or have sat in a Bible study and they have seen this for themselves. And when they see it, un, it revealed to them and they go, oh, it's right there. I need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. I, I'm a recipient. I can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's for me. They're excited, but they also have asked this question simultaneously. What about my family? What about my grandmother? What about those that came before? My, my father who's passed on didn't believe this. They'll say thing, things like that to me. And because they're fearful of embracing, here, here's where the fear comes from. If I embrace this, they ask themselves, will I effectively be, be saying that those who did not do this, the ones that I loved deeply, that they're not saved? That's a heavy question. That's a, that's a, that's a heavy, in fact, pastor, you're preaching this, and what's the title of your, of your series? The Essentials. The Essentials. The Building Blocks. Can I just stop, and I want to encourage you for a moment, that no matter and I can't speak for anybody in their belief and their faith, but I will say this. First of all, anybody who has passed on, they are in the hands of a just God. It is not our responsibility to place hev people in heaven or hell. And you will not hear me doing that in this place. That is not my responsibility. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. However... I also cannot use that as an excuse for inaction because I understand that faith, if you looked at this first century church, anytime you see it, the, when you see baptism, there's a word that comes with it. They commanded them to be baptized. Can I just tell you, if I stood in this pulpit as a pastor in the 21st century and did anything less than what they did, I would have to stand before God. But I stand before you today, and I tell you, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. I tell you, it's, there's some great benefits on the other side of it. I'll tell you, you'll never regret it. But I also speak it the way that they spoke it, and that is it is commanded of every believer. So don't let any former experience, don't let any other believer in your family lineage, God bless them, they're in the hands of a sovereign God, and He is just, but Lord, if they had seen what I'm seeing right now, what what would they have done with it? That's what you've got to ask yourself. What if they had seen this for themselves? Wouldn't they have been somebody that said, hey, I've got to take action. And furthermore, why don't you get your eyes off the past and start thinking about the future? What about your children? What about your children's children? Don't they deserve baptism? Don't they deserve the Spirit of God? Don't they deserve what you've seen? I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Can I just tell you what I feel in this room? There's some people that you're about to be a generational changer for your family. There's been some apathy in the past. There's been some mundane religion in the past. But you say, you know what? I'm willing to be different. Even if there's people that push back, I'm willing to be different. Not for the sake of being different, but oh God, your word I'm hiding in my heart. And if you say I need it, then Lord, I'm I'm going to do what you tell me to do.
Would you just pray with me right now? I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Lord, I pray for every heart. I pray for faith, God, in this room. I speak in the name of Jesus, God, that those who have not made the step of baptism in the name of Jesus in water, that, God, they would make that step. And I speak, Lord, that today somebody willing would be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost for the very first time. In the name of Jesus. But sometimes, even those of us who have had this for a long time and experienced this years ago, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, give you a little bit of history as, I, as I'm coming to a close today, but a little bit of history on my family is that my great-grandfather, is that right, was a Baptist minister. So if you go back in my family lineage, we've not always had this Spirit-filled experience. We go way back, and and uh, in fact, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was was much older. He was in his fifties when my father was born. So our family lineage—that's my cousin here, George—is on the second row right here. We go way back, and we can see where somebody had to take a stand. And if you look at my grandfather, who was born in 1913, when he made a decision to experience this. Pentecostal experience, and this may mirror some of your experience, it was not because it was popular. It was not because there was a, a movement or a wave that was just uh, being accepted widely across America. No, it was close enough to Azusa Street that it was still being made fun of and mocked. And some of you, you live right here in North Carolina where, and, and I do not say this to, to throw darts or to be mean, but 10% of our population is Southern Baptist Convention. Do you know that? Out of the 10 million folks that are here in North Carolina, at least a million of them are Southern Baptists, not to mention all of the other wonderful Baptist folks that are here. But that may be your family members. And when you tell them what God is doing for you, it may blow them away. And they may accept it and they may be supportive, but they may not be. But can I just tell you, and I'll just say this as a side note, it was just a few years ago that so many people in the Southern Baptist Convention, the denomination, were speaking with new tongues that they had to put in their own bylaws a caveat that said missionaries were allowed to be speaking with tongues now because it was a gift for missionaries. So you can call yourself whatever you want to, but the Spirit of God will not be stopped if there's a willing heart. So maybe it's not as crazy as we think it is. It's maybe some of your cousins have already done it and you didn't know it. Here's what I'm saying. Is that my grandfather had to step out, had to be willing, but it affected my father and it's affected my life. Maybe that's who you are in this place. Because can I tell you, could you put Acts 1 and 8 on the screen? This is really the reason. I want to give you the reason why we have the Holy Ghost. Because Christ told us, I'm going to give you the Spirit of God, not so you can have good church, not so you can feel a chill down your backbone, not so that you can just, and again, all these things are wonderful. I don't want to discount this. But when He gave us the Spirit, and I want every Spirit-filled believer at Stello Church to hear me and to hear me well, this is why you have the Holy Ghost right here. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Here's why. You shall be witnesses. 
That's why I have the Holy Ghost. That's why I've been filled with the Spirit. Because God has called me to be a witness unto both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria. And watch this, just like we're afar off and the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus understood that there was going to be a 21st century church. He understood that there was going to be a metro area in Raleigh that needed an apostolic church. He understood that there had to be somebody who was willing to embrace the difference so that they could be the difference. And today, can I just tell you, God is saying to you, those that have already been filled with the Holy Ghost, don't forget why. I've given you the Spirit. I didn't give you the Spirit just so that you could tout it and just talk about it. And, 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 and any and I reject this completely, but this is not about an elitist religious experience. Oh, no. The reason that God has given us the Holy Ghost is so that we could make a difference in the schools that we attend, so that we could make a difference in the workplace, so that whenever we're out in our community, there's something on the inside that begins to stir when we see something somebody and God says go to them and just simply tell them I love them you know what you have to do you've got to be willing to yield to the spirit of God that's on the inside of you I appreciate worship on Sunday I appreciate anybody that will clap their hands I appreciate anybody that will run or that will lift their voice in the spirit of God but I'm telling you what we need we need some people that on a Monday and a Tuesday will also yield to the spirit of God and be willing to pray with somebody who's broken be willing to share the gospel to somebody who's in need. Would you stand with me right now? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. George, would you take that bag? Would you spread those cards out? Start right there at that speaker and go all the way to that speaker. Thank you. George is spreading out 75 cards right now. These 75 cards right here, every single one of them have a $5 Starbucks gift card in them. Two weeks from today is going to be our Friends Sunday where you invite somebody, where you reach out to somebody. Our creative team, I just want them to know how much I appreciate them. Telena, thank you for your help in this. Trisha, thank you for working on this. Can I tell you what these cards have in them? This is this is. This is how hard they worked. Not only is there a $5 Starbucks gift card, but there is a handwritten note. And what can happen, and this is what I believe, this is what I believe we're going to end on today, and it's going to be powerful. And we're going to pray over these. And I want you to take one with you. And for the next couple of weeks, even if it's tomorrow or if it's three days from now or next week, would you hand one of these out? Because on the inside, it's got an invitation to that friend Sunday. Maybe somebody that you've been thinking about. Maybe somebody that you've been wanting to invite. But here's what I'm telling you. Is that if you will let the Holy Spirit empower you to be a witness. This is just a small tool in your hand. But you can walk up to a person and say, hey, I wanted to give this to you. I just want you to have coffee on me this week. I've been thinking about you. I love you. Maybe you see somebody on the street and God says, them, them. You know what that is? That's the Spirit of God empowering you to do what? Be a witness. And you say, this is it. This is my moment. Okay, God, I'm going to yield. 
I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And it can be so uncomfortable, can't it? Oh, I know it can be. It's so uncomfortable, but the more you yield to the Spirit, the easier it becomes. And the more you don't, the easier it becomes to not yield to the Spirit. But you can learn the ways of the Spirit in your life. You can learn what it feels like when God speaks to you or guides you. And and can I just tell you this? If you feel something tell you, it's time to give that card to that person. Right now, you've already got a a name in your mind. Let me tell you what that's not. That's not the devil. Because the devil's not going to tell you to be a witness. The devil's not going to put that name in your mind. You You know what your flesh and what the enemy desires I don't know about it I'm not not sure if that's me no 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 listen you have the spirit of God on the inside of you and the Bible says that those that were there that day you know what would happen to them we see this in the history of the book of Acts they would go from city to city and many times they would be beaten and bruised and broken but they would get back up and they would be overjoyed because they were able to witness to another town if those first century believers were willing to give so much and they were empowered by the spirit how much more can you and I in this day and age in the freedom of religion say God I want to be empowered by the Holy Ghost I want to do what you've called me to do I will go where you've called me to go I feel the spirit of God in this room right now is there anybody that would say with me yeah I want to be a witness I want to be used by God I want to be baptized with the Spirit of God and sent with a purpose. Would you right now, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is just a moment. Private. If you are desiring to be a witness, maybe you're feeling that challenge in your spirit. Maybe it is, believer, member of Stello Church. It's been a while since you witnessed to somebody, since you shared good news, since you prayed a short prayer, since you looked at somebody and said, hey, I feel to tell you Jesus loves you and he cares about you. Maybe you've been busy. I know the feeling. I know what that feels like. But today, you feel a call from God to be empowered to be a witness.